Uh, take your Bibles now, and let's uh, do our last on this series of the fruit of the Spirit. So I want you to turn to Galatians 5, Galatians chapter 5, and 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, if you haven't been with this, Galatians is in the New Testament, so it's the last like one-third or quarter of your Bible. Uh, Galatians is mixed in with a bunch of books uh, that all end in I-A-N-S. So uh, Galatians, Ephesians, there's First and Second Corinthians before that. So if you're in those books, you're, you're kind of close. Uh, so find Galatians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 9 is just a few books before Galatians. Uh, so hopefully you can find those. If you have no idea where you're at in the Bible, just turn to the table of contents. That's why God gave that to us. Um, so I, I, there's no shame in that. There are 66 books in this, and let's all be honest, it's hard to find them sometimes. So use that table of contents. Now, as you're turning there, um, today we're speaking about self-control. It's the last of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to do a little recap here in just a moment. But um, one of the ideas with the fruit of the Spirit is training. It's, uh, we're going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians 9 that speaks about exercising self-control by training yourself, by, by working hard. And now, let me be totally transparent with you now. My five foot seven, 155 pound frame is not exactly built for athletic prowess. Um, I have, I've never excelled athletically at almost anything that I've done because I'm just not a big guy. I took football in high school, and let's face it, the, the football sport does not favor small people, right? So I thought, well, maybe I can do track. And so I, I ran the 800 in track um, and short legs, even in long distances, just it didn't work for me. I even went out and did pole vaulting at one point in my high school career because <laughs> I thought maybe that would work. And I was miserable at that sport. Um, I, I, athleticism is just not something that, that works well with, this, with small stature. But I had a very good friend of mine who was an excellent athlete. Um, he was a runner, actually. His name was Ephraim. Um, he was this guy that could run for all day. Like, have you ever met one of those guys that just loves to run or ladies that loves to run? And they go out for a run and you're like, oh, how'd it go? Oh, I ran like 20 miles. It was wonderful. What? What is wrong with you? <laughs> so, yeah, we have a cross-country runner in here. But Ephraim could run and run and run. He was on our track team and ran the mile and was actually state qualified in the mile. And I learned over the years in you know, taking athletics, not being good at athletics, but taking athletics, that you have to train in order to accomplish what you're wanting to accomplish. You know, Ephraim did not exactly, you know, eat whatever he wanted. And he didn't just go out and run the race and then not do any running during the week. He ran every day. He trained his body every day. He, he didn't take long cheat days when it came to his meals. He trained both in everything he ate, in everything he did, his life was intentional, and he would never have been a state-ranked uh, mile runner in track and field if it wasn't for the self-control and the training that he intentionally put his body through. 
And we're going to be talking about that this morning. But before we do, let's go and look what the Bible has to say about the fruit of the Spirit. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 16. Hopefully you are very familiar with this passage by now. Because we have read this passage every single Sunday. This is the ninth week that we have read this passage. So let's look at it one more time. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, desires, the, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And as I always say, now look at what it says in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, forbearance, a.k.a. patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now again, as I've been saying, the reason we're studying the fruit of the Spirit is because the fruit of the Spirit is our cure that God has provided to us uh, to get us away, to keep us inoculated, to keep us immunized from the fleshly desires. Those things that we as followers of Christ want to avoid, the fruit of the Spirit, living in the fruit of the Spirit, is the way to avoid those sinful desires. And so that's why we've been focusing the last nine weeks on the fruit of the Spirit. So let's do a recap of the last eight weeks. Because I want you to have a big picture as we kind of close this up. I want you to remember the big picture of what we're looking at here. So week one, we talked about love. And love values people over preferences. Our preferences, our opinions, our personal desires all have to take a back seat when it comes to loving people. Loving people takes the priority. So loving people is more important than our personal preferences. When it comes to making decisions, as First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale, we make decisions based on how we can love others and reach them with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. And our personal preferences, many times, may have to take a back seat to that mission that God has given us. Because let me be totally frank with you, our preferences compared to God's mission, our preferences don't matter at all. And so love always takes precedence over our preferences. Then in week two, I told you a story of going to a barbecue place when I was in Texas, uh, when I was in seminary, and I would go back to class after lunch and you could smell the barbecue on me and people were jealous that I had gotten to go eat barbecue for lunch. And the whole phrase that day was, do you stink of joy. In other words, the idea when you come in the presence of others, do people smell the joy on you? 
Do they sense that joy and do they say, oh, I don't know why they have that joy, but I want that. Does your life just scream? Does it exude joy? Because that's something that people will notice. Then in week three, we talked about peace. I spent time in Matthew 7 where Jesus speaks about having a plank in your own eye while you're trying to take a speck out of your neighbor's eye. And the idea being is that if we want to be people who seek peace, we have to remove that plank of pride out of our own eye and, and remove it so that we can be people of peace. And the statement that week was, choose his peace over your plank. It's that idea of putting our pride to the side, realizing that if we have pride in our life, we'll never be peaceful. Peace and pride are on opposite ends of the spectrum. And so we have to deal with our pride if we want to be people of peace. Then in week four, we talked about patience. And we, we kind of dealt with the whole issue of, do you, do you really ask for patience? I mean, is that something that you really should do? That whole, I was always told, don't ever ask for patience because God will give it to you. And he will give it to you in a hard way, right? But in reality, it's a lack of trust that gives us problems with patience. So the statement that week was, trouble with trust causes problems with patience. And it's that whole concept of, we get impatient because we don't trust the timing that God has. And let's be honest, God's timing is infinitely more perfect than our timing or our concept of what we want. And so patience involves trust. Then we moved into the next week and talked about kindness. And the whole statement that week is, we are kind because he is kind. And let's, let's call it out. Kindness is the reason that God shows us mercy and grace and every single one of us according to the book of Romans are in desperate need of mercy and grace we have all fallen short we are all sinners we have all made mistakes we have all rebelled against God's perfect plan and God's desire for our lives and so when it comes to being kind with others even when it's difficult we have to remember that God was kind to us when it was really difficult when we were in active rebellion against him, he is still kind to us. Then the next week, we went into goodness. And we talked about how godly goodness grows to God's greatness. God has great plans for every single one of our lives as followers of Christ. But ultimately, we have to live in that goodness if we want to achieve the greatness of God. Then we talked about faithfulness. And we talked about how in this context, in Galatians 5, it's not talking about believing in God. It's talking about us being faithful and reliable and trustworthy. Because it's a characteristic that wells up from within us, that the fruit, the Spirit, produces in our life. And so we talked about when you're faithful, it's noticed by the faithless. You know, it's hard to find a truly trustworthy, reliable person today in today's society. And so when we as followers of Christ are trustworthy, when we are reliable, when we are faithful, people take notice. Those who do not believe in Christ will see your faithfulness and will take note of it. And then lastly, last week, we talked about gentleness. And I, I told the story of Alexander the Great's horse, uh, Bucephus, 
Again, I'm waiting for someone to name their child Bucephus. It's a beautiful name. But we talked about Alexander the Great's horse named Bucephus and how he was powerful and fearless. Uh, and he, he was, uh, many stories were told and songs were written about him. And there, there are statues all over the world of Bucephus and, and his great achievements as a horse. And we, we studied and learned that actually the word gentleness in our Bible is the same Greek word used to describe a powerful Greek war horse. That gentleness is not being shy or reserved or being soft. Gentleness is being powerful, but having that power having con- being contained in perfect control under the authority of Jesus. So, so meekness, gentleness is not soft. Gentleness, meekness is power under perfect control. So that's where we have been over the last eight weeks. And we're now on the last of this series. We're on self-control. So the Greek word here means to control something or have mastery over something. Okay, but the Greek is interesting. It's one of those languages. The English doesn't do this at all. But Greek does a lot of placing of suffixes and prefixes. And so a word would be placed, and then you'd put a suffix or a prefix on it to change the meaning or the object or the subject of that particular word. In this case, when we're talking about self-control, there's a prefix on it that tells us that it's control over ourselves. So self-control is having mastery over our desires, our passions, the way we live our life day in and day out. So what does the Bible have to say outside of the passage we're going to look at here in a moment about self-control? I have one passage that I want to focus on and then we'll get to our primary passage. That passage this morning is 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 11. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 11. And it says this, For this very reason, now this is Peter himself talking, Peter the apostle, Peter the guy that walked on water, this is him speaking. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. Now stop there for just a second. Knowledge in God's word and knowledge of God should lead us to self-control. It's not a coincidence that Peter links knowledge and self-control together. But look at what else self-control is linked to. And to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. If you've ever trained athletically, you know that perseverance is one of your greatest enemies. It's one of the hardest things to achieve. Because if you've ever been on a diet... Is it hard to stick to that diet? Yes. It's hard to have perseverance when you're training your body to do something that it doesn't want to do. When I want to eat healthy and I go to a restaurant, the last thing my body wants is that salad. Right? I know you can identify with where I'm at on this. Perseverance is difficult. 
But look at what 2 Peter 1 has to say about that. Self-control leads to perseverance. That's an obvious linking together, isn't it? Without self-control, you can't have perseverance. You can't go long-term. You can't make the run. You can't do the training without self-control leading to perseverance. Now look at what else it says. And to perseverance, godliness... And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Again, notice that there are many listings of the other fruit. Not just in Galatians 5. We're seeing it here in 2 Peter as well. Continuing on. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now catch what it says here. Listen to this statement. But if anyone does not have them, we're talking about all these attributes that he just listed, self-control being one of them. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Self-control should be a defining attribute of a follower of Christ, according to 2 Peter chapter 1. It should be a defining feature of every follower of how we live our lives. So, let's look at our primary passage this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. And look at what he has to say. Chapter 9, verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strive to blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for that prize. Isn't that an amazing illustration? I mean, whether you were or are an athlete uh, or you just watch athletics on the television, uh, this is something that I think most people can identify with. And this was very meaningful to the Corinthians because in the city of Corinth was the second largest athletic competition of that day and time, with the Olympics being the great one that was located in Greece. Corinth was the uh, location of another like Olympic-style competition, uh, that was happened every few years. And so the Corinthians, when reading this illustration, immediately connected with what Paul was saying. And Paul is saying here very easily that as an athlete, the follower of Christ should be single-minded. That we should have a single focus. Now, as First Southern of Scottsdale, we exist to share the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ with all generations. That is why we exist. That should be our focus. That should be what drives us as a church is to share that life-changing hope. 
If you know Jesus Christ, I hope that you can identify with the fact that you have an eternal hope. That without Jesus' salvation, without that life-changing hope in your life, you don't have anything. And we exist to make sure that that life-changing hope is shared. We can't keep it to ourselves. We have to share it with others. But how do we do that? Well, verse 25 explains one of the ways that we have to be prepared for this. Verse 25 says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Now, the word strict training there is actually the same Greek word in Galatians 5 that means self-control. In other words, every athlete who competes trains through self-control. We have to have that self-control as followers of Christ. And so, it means that we deny ourselves the things that our flesh wants. Again, referring back to Galatians 5, before the fruit of the Spirit, we have these desires, don't we? We have these longings. We have these things that are contrary to God's desires for our lives. And as followers of Christ, many times and most of the time, we deny those things. We have to consciously and intentionally say, I will not give in to this. I will instead embrace the hope of Jesus Christ. And I will do so through self-control. So, let me just call something out. Christ never tells us that living for him is going to be easy. I say it sometimes. If somebody tells you that being a Christian is easy, they're trying to sell you something. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said, they persecuted me and they're going to persecute you. If your life as a follower of Christ is easy and it's really comfortable, then maybe Christ is calling you to step up your game. Maybe Christ is calling you to train a little more and to live in self-control and denying your comforts a little more. And that's hard because being an American is all about the dream of being comfortable, right? Having money, having the house, having the good car, having air conditioning. Well, I don't know that air conditioning in Arizona is necessarily a comfort as much as a necessity. But... But following Christ means that sometimes we have to make the hard decision about whether or not we choose a comfort over Christ's calling. And sometimes it's hard to say, Christ, I'll follow you instead of indulging in this comfort or this uh, temptation that I have in my life. Christ never tells us that our life as a Christian will be easy. It's actually supposed to be kind of hard. It's supposed to be difficult. If in no other way, it's supposed to be difficult in the way that we have self-control. Self-control is never an easy venture. It's always difficult. It's always challenging. And so look at your life. Examine where it is that you need to live in self-control. So here's my statement for the day. If you haven't heard anything or you're taking notes, I want you to write this one sentence down. It rhymes, so hopefully you'll remember it. To achieve Jesus' goal and receive eternity for our soul, we have to live in self-control. It's a lot of ols. Ol, ol, ol. If we want to achieve that goal that Christ has in front of us, if we want that eternity for our soul, If we want to inherit the kingdom of God, in other words, we have to live a life of self-control. 
It's necessary. It's not a suggestion in God's word. It's not a, oh, it might be a good idea if you could do this. Jesus doesn't say, oh, it'd be great if you could, but if you can't, it's all right. Jesus makes it clear that self-control is a necessity. It is a requirement of our life in Christ. And so if we want to achieve that goal that Christ has in front of us, self-control has to be a primary uh, part of achieving that. Again, the goal is not to be comfortable. Our goal is to glorify Jesus Christ. So, how do we go about doing that? Well, go back to verse 24 with me. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? You see, the prize is that eternal fellowship with Jesus. That prize is that we get something eternal, something that lasts forever and ever and ever and never goes away. But we have to exercise self-control. And let me, let me give you three areas that the Bible makes it very clear we have to exercise self-control. So if you're taking notes, there are three places in our lives that the Bible makes it clear we're supposed to be exercising strict self-control. The first area is in our mind. We have to have mental self-control. Look at what 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 10.5 says. It says towards the end of that passage, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's powerful because in today's society, depression is at an all-time high. The suicide rate in our country is higher than it's ever been. The fact of the matter is, is that mental self-control and mental strength is rare today. But the Bible says that mental self-control is what we're supposed to do. And we do that not out of our own power. We do it out of the power of Christ. Look at, listen to what 2 Corinthians 10.5 says again. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's about Jesus. Now, let me tell you right now, any athlete will tell you this. When you first begin to train, it's hard. When you first go into a weight room and you pick up a 20-pound dumbbell, that dumbbell is heavy. But if you consistently pick that 20-pound dumbbell up over a three-month period, it will feel lighter and lighter and lighter. The fact of the matter is, is that when it comes to mental self-control, it is one of the hardest exercises to live out. But as you do it, as you do that through the Holy Spirit, you will get better and stronger and have more ability to have that self-control. And so live that out in your lives. The second area of self-control that Christ calls us to is physical self-control. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's be honest. If you're a longtime follower of Christ, you know that there are certain things physically that Christ says we're not supposed to be doing. And we can see that list again in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, right before the fruit of the Spirit. But physically, we're supposed to be living our lives for Him. We're supposed to be using our bodies for Him and His glory. 
And then lastly, so mental self-control, physical self-control. Lastly, we're supposed to have self-control over our communication. And this is probably mental self-control and uh, speaking self-control, communication self-control, are probably the two areas in American society that have kind of gone unleashed without bounds. Because we speak so harshly to people today, whether it's face-to-face with them or whether it's on a computer or a smartphone. We are a people of very little kindness. We are a people of harshness. We are a people that are very judgmental about different aspects of society. When the fact of the matter is, is Jesus calls us to have a lot of self-control over how we use our tongue and in some cases our fingers. Listen to what James chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 says. James 3, 8 through 10 says, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Those are strong words, are they not? Verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Everything we say with our mouths, everything we type with our fingers or our thumbs should be encouraging and uplifting. We should never put a person down. We can disagree with a person's decisions or their political stance or the direction their life is going. We can disagree with that, but we can never hurt the person in that disagreement. James 3 makes that clear. And so we need to learn, all of us, including myself, we need to learn how to have self-control over the things we communicate. So ask yourself this morning, what areas do I need to have more self-control over? What areas could I improve on? Would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much for today, for everything that you have done and everything you are in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people of self-control. Lord, that people would see our lives and would see the way that we interact. They would see the way that we live that's different from the way everyone else does. And they would see a godly person. And that they would take notice and want what we have. So Lord, help us to be a people of self-control. Mentally, physically, And with the things that we say or type, help us to have self-control. Help us to continually seek to glorify your name in everything we do. So, Lord, we thank you again. We praise you and we lift all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We're going to continue to worship in music here in just a moment. And if you feel like you need to spend some time in prayer, the, the altar up here is open and available to come pray. Uh, If you need to talk with someone this morning, uh, myself and Pastor Josh will be down here in the front. Uh, We would love to talk to you if you need to process something that you've heard in music or prayer or in the Word this morning. So let's stand as we continue to worship.